Welcome to Motive and Method. I'm Dr. Xanthi Mallet. And I'm Tim Watson Munro. And today we're actually doing a quick follow-up on a case that we and everybody else in Australia and worldwide has been following very closely, that of Erin Patterson and the mushroom deaths in Victoria in June this year. Now, just to set the scene, we spoke about this in an earlier episode. This was a situation where 48-year-old Erin Patterson served lunch to her ex-in-laws, so her ex-husband Simon Patterson's parents and his uncle and aunt. This is on Saturday the 29th of July. They were fed beef wellington and it's that beef wellington that sadly led to three of their deaths and Ian Wilkinson, the fourth person at that lunch besides Erin, becoming very, very seriously unwell. He was actually in a coma in hospital for a significant length of time and was potentially going to require a liver transplant. But fortunately, he survived that incident, um, but Heather, uh, his wife, did not, and nor did Don and Gail Patterson, Simon's parents. Now, Simon was invited to that lunch. He didn't attend, so it was just the five of them. The question then became, why did those three people die? Why did Ian Wilkinson become so unwell? And the investigation followed from there. So that was where we were kind of up to at the stage when we spoke about it last time. Um, at that point, Erin hadn't been charged with anything, and this was really a mass death investigation, although she was, in fact, a suspect. Um, but we're going to talk about where we're up to now and what that means going forward. So, Tim, did you want to kind of bring us up to speed with where we're up to and some of the discussions that have been going on, on in the media as well? Because I think that's an interesting kind of side note here because the police have been very keen to keep this shut down and to try and reduce as much um, innuendo and gossip as possible. And maybe we should talk about why that is and where we're going next. Uh, well, that's inevitable. Uh, this case is now a matter of subjudice and everyone has to be very careful about what they say. That said, <clears throat> there's been a tsunami of global interest in this case. I've done interviews offshore. I know you have as well. What is it about this case that has engendered so much interest? Without going to the guilt or innocence of the accused person, people are entitled to the presumption of innocence until proved otherwise. It's the context of the alleged offending, isn't it? Three people have died. Historically, the offender's husband was in hospital last year. He was in an induced coma, as I understand it, for 16 days. There's allegations of further attempts at poisoning. And I think it's the poison itself that tends to be the hook in these cases. We've discussed in the past uh, Lucy Letby, another intriguing case, different type of poison. Children were injected, or neonatal babies really, were injected with insulin, and a number of them died. But it's a fascinating case, and I understand, and I respect the police desire to keep a lid on this, because they don't want contamination, they don't want juries affected, but it's inevitable, the public interest, I think, is, as I say, it's a tsunami of public interest. Because really we're doing the update because last Thursday on the 2nd of November, Erin was actually arrested, wasn't she? So that in some ways came as a bit of a surprise, but it, we were watching this case because it, three people have died and one was seriously unwell and one have life, Ian Wilkinson will have lifelong 
medical issues as a result of this. So last Thursday, we saw Erin arrested at her home. When she was arrested, the police conducted a search of her home. And later on, she was charged. Now, we'll get to the charges in a minute, but I think there's some interesting things about the search at the house um, that people have particularly picked up on. And one of those things was that tech dogs mm. were at that home. And I know that you mentioned this too, didn't you? Well, look, it's new technology. I've not been involved in any case or commented on any case in the past where specifically trained dogs sniff out technological equipment, USBs, SIM cards and so on. But it makes sense. I mean, who knows what's on these USBs and SIM cards, if anything at all is discovered. But uh, it's part of the forensic procedure. You look at a trail of evidence. Has the person Googled facts that may be relevant to the alleged offending? And slowly but surely, the police build a case against an accused person. People expressed surprise that you've been charged. Some commentary was what took them so long. My view is that they've acted with light speed, really. It's less than three months since the alleged offending, or just over three months now. We now have an arrest and we have a person who's charged. I think that the police have been assiduous in terms of their investigative techniques. Who knows what other evidence they have, but I wasn't surprised at the speed of this. I've been involved in cases where it can take a year or two before a suspect is uh, questioned and charged. Uh, we've spoken many times that about cold cases where decades may go by before an individual is questioned and charged. So on this one, they seem to be pretty confident. They're moving forward uh, with considerable speed, I guess. Yeah, I wasn't surprised by the three months at all. It's a very complex investigation. So not only do we have the physical evidence from the lunch itself, so Erin handed over that beef, the remains of the beef wellington, we also needed to know exactly what the toxin was, and that took some time. Um, we also have the dehydrator, and those results have not been released to the public, so there was some question as to whether the mushrooms had actually been dehydrated that went into that beef wellington and whether they'd been purchased, as Erin claims, from an Asian grocer, or potentially whether Erin, I guess, had allegedly dehydrated those death cap mushrooms, which is the specific type of mushroom which has been suggested by police was um, the, the cause of death in this case. So that dehydrator, Erin has acknowledged, she disposed of shortly after the her family or ex-husband's family became unwell, and so really, for me, that dehydrator is the crux of this. And what evidence has been obtained from that dehydrator? Are there death cat mushroom spores in that dehydrator or not? But that had to be sent away for analysis overseas. So the police necessarily had to wait a number of weeks and months to get those results. So they will, we will find out what happened with the dehydrator, but the police are not releasing that information uh, as uh, yet. Uh, as is their right, I'd imagine they've put it through a mass spectrometer. They've done all sorts of high-tech investigations of that bit of, bit of alleged evidence. And I guess at a more broader, generic level, we've discussed this also in the past, just the advances in technology and forensic investigations. Uh, I mean, I can remember a couple of decades ago, it was fingerprints or nothing, and now there's hair analysis, there's USB analysis, 
Um, there's looking at evidence of uh, spores in this case, whether they exist or not. Who knows? Yet to be determined. But I think the message is going out loud and clear. If you break the law, they'll get you. <laughs> uh, there, there's very little wiggle room with this type of evidence once it's discovered and it's put before a jury. And I think that tech information is really interesting. So a, a tech dog specifically was taken down, flown from Queensland down to Victoria to look specifically for that technological evidence. So as you mentioned, the SIM cards, that could be full mobile phones, it could be hard drives on computers. And there seems to again be some surprise with the public and in the media that the police have asked for a further 20 weeks to analyse that evidence that they recovered from Erin Patterson's home on the 2nd of November. But really, that's not a long time. Imagine if they've got mobile phones or hard drives. They then have to recover potentially any deleted files. They need to go through each of those those pieces of evidence to see if there's anything on there that is at all relevant. Then they need to follow that up in terms of they may need to speak to more witnesses. They may need to look at certain search histories, purchase histories. They may need to track where mobile phones have been, where they've pinged off particular towers at certain times. So then they have to build that picture of what that technological IT evidence actually means in the context of the investigation. So needing a further 20 weeks to analyse that, again, is not a lot of time at all, I don't think. Well, then, you know, you add to that if it goes to trial, rebuttal evidence for every expert. There's another expert that may have a contrary point of view. And uh, look, 20 weeks is not a long period of time. I don't want to, you know, pre-judge or guess what's going to go on in this case. I'd be surprised if they would be ready to go in 20 weeks. Given the complexities of this case, uh, given that it was only last week that they've looked for this tea evidence and so on, that'll take a long time. Even with a warehouse full of boffins going through everything, it'll take a long time. You then have to join the dots and you then have to put it into a brief of evidence that then is assessed by the defence team. And as I say, whatever the expertise may be, uh, inevitably you'll find another expert will say, well, there's some doubt about this evidence. Just because this is there, it doesn't necessarily flow that ABC is true and correct. So exactly, yep. This and case has a long tail. It's, it'll go to a committal hearing in the magistrate's court where the evidence will be tested. Subject to that, the case may or may not be referred to the Supreme Court of Victoria. Um, I know how things work in Victoria at the moment. There's such a backlog arising from COVID. I've heard, for example, even in the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, the, the state one, and it's everywhere, but particularly in Victoria, there's a backlog of about two years. There's a huge backlog on criminal trials. So I guess what I'm saying in a sort of uh, long-winded way, fasten your seatbelts, this case will be going on for a long, long time before there's some sort of resolution one way or the other. The other thing I was going to say is arising from that, there may well be uh, an application for bail in the Supreme Court. Yeah, because know. what we haven't actually said is on the 2nd of November, Patterson was actually charged. And so as a result of that questioning, that arrest and that search, she was charged with three counts of murder, which relate to that lunch. Um, the, the three people obviously died. And what really took me and I know many people by surprise was she was also charged with five counts of attempted murder. I actually thought that was an error when I first saw that reported on the news. I thought it was five charges in total. 
And I thought three counts of murder plus two attempted murder. So one of those I assumed was on Ian Wilkinson, who fortunately survived that lunch. And the, the other count of attempted murder that I was not necessarily surprised by, alleged attempted murder, was when you mentioned Simon Patterson being really unwell around 18 months before this lunch and, and he was hospitalised for about 16 days. I think he was in a, as he said, an induced coma. He had, an, I think, three emergency surgeries. His family were told to say goodbye to him twice. He was very, very unwell with some unidentified gastro illness. So clearly the police have also looked at historical incidents of Simon being unwell to determine if they could demonstrate a pattern of alleged behaviour. And apparently these three other attempted murder charges relate to other incidents of Simon Patterson being unwell. So that's why we got to the five. So I was particularly surprised by that, but I think we'll get more information as this goes forward um, to committal, which is set down for May, I believe. Well, it's six months away, <clears throat> only for the committal. Uh, look, it's not unusual for police to throw the book at people with backup charges. Five alleged attempted murders, who knows what that'll end up like, but I'm not surprised by that either. It would seem that they're pretty confident in terms of their pursuit of this case and they're throwing a lot of resources at it. But it'll be, as I said, it'll have a long tail, six months to the committal. Who knows how long that will roll probably a long time if there's various experts and evidence to be led and so on. Uh, it'll be a huge trial in Melbourne, again, I think, with global implications. Um, I'm still getting requests from people overseas to talk about this case. So it's tickled the interest of many on the planet. Yeah, totally agree. Just for our listeners, the purpose of the committal hearing in May is not to look at the guilt or innocence of the accused. It's simply an assessment of the evidence. So this is just deciding what will go forward to trial. So I'm not expecting the trial to happen until late 2024, if not 2025. Uh, I would think as a minimum. And then who knows what the eventual pleadings will be. Uh, I don't want to speculate on that. If three counts of murder and there's five counts of attempted murder, Evidence will need to be led in relation to each one of those counts. You may have expertise referable to some of the counts, different expertise referable to other counts. Then you've got the IT evidence. It's going to be bigger than Ben-Hur, this trial, when it eventuates. It will. But until then, I imagine Erin Patterson will remain on remand. So she will remain incarcerated she is, I believe, being held at a maximum security female prison down in Victoria. And she will remain there. My understanding is she could apply for, or her defence counsel could apply for bail to a higher court. But given the seriousness of the allegations, then she's highly unlikely to get bail. So it is likely she will remain on remand until this goes to trial. And that process is therefore concluded. And I think it's really important at this stage that Erin Patterson, we mentioned that she is maintaining her innocence and that she has absolutely that right. So I would caution people out there who are discussing this. I've seen lots of commentary on social media and even in the actual professional media. And even that has floated very close to the wind in terms of forgetting that presumption of innocence. So I would just caution people because worst case, there may be an argument that this is so high profile that she can't get a fair trial and therefore there may be some legal ramifications for those discussions that are taking place. So 
please don't have discussions online where you're assuming guilt, you're speaking about guilt, you're talking about motive. Please don't speculate because the last thing any of us want is any potential mistrial, etc., based on the fact that the trial has been contaminated through public discussion. Well, there's recent precedents for that. The Dawson trial was put over for a long time. Uh, the Bruce Learman trial, which didn't reach a conclusion. The issue of subjudice and contaminating juries is a live one, and particularly now in the age of multimedia, it can happen. The other point I'd make, whilst it's unlikely she would be released to conditional bail, it may not be impossible. If, for example, hypothetically, the Crown says, look, we're not going to be in a position to produce the brief for another year or so, there may be an application based on delay for her to be released to the community. It would then depend on a number of variables. Is she a flight risk? Is she likely to stand over witnesses? All those sorts of things would be taken into account. I think you're right, it's unlikely, but not impossible. It'll depend on how the case unfolds and the time frames within the case which may have some impact upon the issue of bail. Yep, totally agree. So basically this is a watch this space, but it's going to be huge when that trial happens. Until then, we wait to see what information is released at committal to the public and until then we watch and wait. We watch and wait and um, it'll make a fascinating movie in due course. I wouldn't be surprised. So that, ladies and gentlemen, was Motive and Method, a quick update on the Erin Patterson case. And as things move forward, we will absolutely bring you that news and new developments. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much. I'm Tim Watson Munro. And I'm Dr. Santhi Mallet. Thank you for listening to Motive and Method. And remember, if you're loving the show, you can give us a review, you can subscribe to our channel and feed, and you can recommend us to friends and family. You can also set up a bell notification alert so that you'll know first when a new episode is available. 